Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Ticket to Broadway, where Broadway meets Main Street. <laughs> Here's your host, my pal, David Alpert. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this podcast. Did you know there's an Instagram page? Check out eTicket to Broadway for photos of our guests at the parks. And please share your memories on whichever platform you choose. Just be sure to use the hashtag eTicket to Broadway so we can all see just how wonderful the community is. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and let me know that you're listening. We all want to be connected to that wonderful overlap of the Disney parks and Broadway fandoms. The guest on this episode is a Disney legend. The first two times I met her, I was so starstruck despite how kind and approachable she was. She has starred on Broadway in Thoroughly Modern Millie and Cabaret, but audiences, and certainly you all listening, best know her as the original Belle in the Broadway musical Beauty and the Beast, for which she was Tony-nominated. She also was the voice of Meg in one of my favorite Disney movies, Hercules. Here she is, the one and only Susan Egan. Hi, Susan. Thank you so much for joining. It is such an honor to have you on this podcast. David, it's so nice to be here. And I'm excited that like we both get to fangirl over over Disney. <laughs> I know. It's really good. I mean, though, you are you're a Disney legend. Not I mean, not only is starring in the first Disney on Broadway musical enough, you had to then go and voice one of the coolest Disney characters. I have been really, really lucky. And, you know, I didn't ever expect it. I grew up um, in Orange County, California, lucky me, 15 minutes away from Disneyland. And uh, I had no idea back then. And yet, like when I was in high school, a lot of my friends worked at the parks. In fact, my now husband also worked at the parks. Um, and and it was such do? a, well, it was a big employer of, of you know, teenagers and stuff. He worked in um, in the food part of it, in the restaurants. Uh, you know, he he had escapades working at Blue Bayou and 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 the restaurants there. My brother was, um, and I don't even know if they still have this, but he was a mountain climber. He would he would climb oh, yeah. at the and Matterhorn. He is, yes, at the Matterhorn, and like he, it it was legit like rock climbing. No kidding. Um, they were truly like harnessed in. Uh, and my brother, you know, he. He's a rock climber all over the world now. Um, but uh, yeah, so that was his his job. But I never worked for the parks. I was busy as a teenager working at my my friend Heather's mom's dance studio. <laughs> I would teach ballet to like four-year-olds. And um, so it's kind of ironic that I didn't work for that company for so long, even though they employed all of my friends and then ended up, you know, my whole career is I'm so grateful to them. Did you, I mean, was your family, be, besides employing your brother, did your family like going to the parks? Yes, I was really, okay, there was no such thing as um, annual pass holders. That that didn't exist. And this is way back in the day 
<laughs> Can anybody remember when there were actual tickets? But now you, of course, are resurrecting that e-ticket. I know. Um, it's so, yeah. You, you, I'm sure you've explained it, but you get these little packets of tickets and that was it. Those were the rides you could go on and, and then that was it. You couldn't, you know, you could use all your e-tickets on Space Mountain if you wanted to, but then you wouldn't be able to do the Matterhorn or other other things. And Space Mountain, by the way, came out like when I was a kid. That was the be-all, end-all. Oh, gosh. But I was um, the youngest of three. And so, uh, but I had this amazing mom, Nancy, who loved the parks and loved like wild roller coasters. And she would once a year wake us up on a school day and we never knew when it was going to happen. And she's like, today you're not going to school. Today we're going to Disneyland. And I thought, she's amazing. And then I talk about this in my club act. I go, now that I'm a mom, I know that she hadn't planned it at all. She woke up that morning and wanted to abandon all of her responsibilities. And she's right. like, this is it. This is the day. <laughs> like, I'm going to yes. get my coffee and wake up the kids. I need to be on some <laughs> roller coasters. And um, That's incredible. And, and we would go on a school day because the lines would be shorter. So Oh, sure. Yeah. But the problem of being the youngest child, David, was that nobody in my family wanted to use the A and B tickets because those were the kid rides. So... I have no recollection of ever being on Dumbo or Pinocchio or Peter Pan or anything like that as a child. It wasn't until um, my senior year of high school, we had grad night at Disneyland. Yeah. And my friend Aaron's like, I will go on all those rides with you because, of course, no, you know. Like, I've never been on them. I've never been on Alice in Wonderland. And he's like, well, we have to fix that right now. And so I love that. Um, by then, there were no more tickets left. It was just like a regular pass and you could go on any ride. And um, and I did all the kids rides when I was 18. <laughs> I love that. What's funny is, you know, I think it was when I was working there in 2005 where my mom came to visit and I said, you know, I've never been in the Tiki Room. Oh, my goodness. Such and a it's classic. those moments, those moments when you're like, I just haven't done this. Um, it's the magic of Disneyland. I think that's so true everywhere. I mean, I lived in New York for 15 years and never went to see the Statue of Liberty. I mean, I think that's right. sort of what happens sometimes. Yeah. I went for the first time this year when I took my kids to New York. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. Um, yes, that does happen. And Tiki Room is so classic. Are you kidding? It's so classic. I know. I don't know why. I think it was... That child mindset of I have to go on as many rides as possible. I'm not yes. going to sit down and watch a 10 minute show. I've yes. got places also, to be. And back then too, there was no like two day passes. Do you know? I mean, you had you had one day to go there. And do you remember the parking lot? Do you know? I parked in Bambi. I parked in yes. you know um, Winnie the yeah, Pooh. Yeah, like the Eeyore lot, yes. the Indiana Jones ride. Exactly. Now. Have you seen that? Uh, have I seen what? So when you're in the queue for Indiana Jones watching the safety video. You have to ask a cast member nicely with a flashlight, but if you turn to look where the projector is, way in the back is a sign from the Eeyore parking lot. It is one of those coolest hidden Mickeys. I love it. I love the hidden Mickeys. So do do you know Richard Kraft? I don't. Okay, Richard is an amazing human being. He is literally today's Walt Disney. Um, he's effervescent and incredible. I met him way back when I was doing Beauty and the Beast um, at the now gone Schubert Theater in Los Angeles. Um, he was a friend of my my managers and we became close friends. He's a huge Disney file. Um, and he's he's like the agent for every film scorer in the world. In fact, he's now Alan Menken's um, 
agent, but he's he represents Danny Elfman. He represents I, I mean, you name the person he na- he represents them. So he's a huge factor in the music industry, but is just a big fan of Disneyland um, and anything Disney and Walt Disney himself. Uh, he's he now produces all the Hollywood Bowl concerts um, that I got to do a couple of years ago, uh, the Little Mermaid concert and. Anyway, um, but his he started collecting Disneyland memorabilia and he had the tiki room like elements in his house. He bought when they gosh, it's maybe eight to ten years ago now they um, upgraded, refurbished. It's a small world. And so he bought the original dolls and you would go into his foyer in his house in LA and you'd flip like what you would think would be the light switch as you walk in the front door but it would actually be that it's a small world and they would come out oh, and no. start doing things um he has everything the Dumbo ride the whatever and then last year he did this pop-up museum called That's from Disneyland which was free for anybody. He did it up in Sherman Oaks in in California. Oh yeah, um, of course. North of I've LA, heard of this. and people yeah. would go for free to see all this stuff. And it was just a giant auction. He finally auctioned off all of his stuff. But I mean, he had the canoe from you know Tom Sawyer's Island when it was still Tom Sawyer's Island, and um, I, I mean, you name it, he had it. Old posters from um, you know the wallpaper as the room sinks in the haunted mansion. He yeah. had those. Like, wouldn't yes. you have died to have this? Anyway, um, just major Disneyland memorabilia. And he had like that Eora sign. He has a lot of the parking lot signs. I would love for any of those. It was like in Saving Mr. Banks, that scene where they drive up to the main gates. And I remember when I saw it, a lot of my friends were like, oh, "How is right that possible?" Front. Yes, and it was yeah. if you, you got were lucky there if early you could enough. Park in Bambi, because it, it was alphabetical order. So B meant you were yeah. close to that front gate, and I mean, you had to walk for miles if you were in the back. There I were know. no parking <laughs> garages; it was just flat land. Yeah, there was like that one tram. Like you could maybe get a spot on the tram, but other than that, you just schlepped in. Not in my family; we walked everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I okay. So maybe time. Time confuses me, but maybe 12 years ago, 15 years ago, um, I do a lot of Disney cruises uh, providing entertainment, and I was on a cruise with Art Linkletter. Do you know oh my who gosh. this is? Okay. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. What what an amazing human being. Very famous gentleman. Um, what was his TV show where he would talk to the kids? Kids say the darndest things, What something like that. And he was best friends with Walt Disney, and he hmm. remembers driving down to Orange County when it was all orange fields, strawberry fields, and Walt showing him this land and he's going to build this park. And Art's like, "Uh, okay, okay. And then (laughs) the next time he took him on a helicopter down in Florida and showed him acres and acres of swamp of like mosquito infested <laughs> um croc you know alligator swampland saying i'm gonna build disney world and art was just like you are a madman this is yeah. the <laughs> dumbest idea ever um and to just hear those firsthand stories of what what was thinking and um have you ever been to uh uh in copenhagen um the Tivoli Gardens. I haven't. Okay, Tivoli Gardens is the park, the um, amusement park in Copenhagen that inspired Walt Disney. 
And I've been there a couple times and you walk down and it has like the twinkle lights. It looks like, um, it, it looks like Main Street. I mean, it's, you get it. Like you get that Walt was walking through this park going, oh, I see what they did here. And then he magnified it a hundred times, you know, just did amazing things, taking that inspiration and then exploding it and only the way Walt could. I grew up going to Disneyland. Disney World doesn't have that nostalgia factor for me. But when I go to Disneyland, it's the original, not just Disney Park, it's the original theme park. It is just incredible. You know what? I hear you. So I grew up in Southern California too, as I said. And so Disneyland was everything. I was 22 when I first was on a national tour and we were in Orlando and I got to see Disney World for the first time. So huge. like So big. It seems so impersonal. Although I love Disney World. I spend a lot of time there now um, and love the variety and love Epcot. And, you know, it's got more adult sort of interesting things to do as well. But I can now understand how people who experienced that first, when they go to Disneyland, it seems so quaint. That castle's so small. Agreed. But but it it's still the most magical. There's something about that OG thing. I know. Um, that is that is amazing, and and it's been bittersweet as they've improved it and expanded. Most recently, there was a little hideaway that I would always go to with my kids and my husband it was the the petting zoo like did yeah, you even know there was a petting zoo yes of course over the where goats. we would we would get barbecue and then we would go into the petting yep. zoo and of course all of that is gone now because it's, it's Star gone. Wars yeah so it was right by like the big thunder smoking area <laughs> yes. remember that there were like there would be those little patches of like here you can smoke and then or you could pet a goat yes and, and was, pet a that goat that was within the last 10 years yes yeah no very it's recently funny. You know, the fact that Walt was like, no gum in the parks. And then Disney was one of the first to say, no selfie sticks in the park. And now we're seeing like, no smoking. Like, Disney is just creating a world I want to live in. More than any other company in the world, I'm astounded by Disney. Just from a logistical and business side of things, they never lose sight of their, the people and their experience. And everything comes from that point of view of what is the experience. Um, and and as a company grows bigger and bigger and bigger, it's so easy to lose sight of that. And they have always maintained it. It's also like the training, the employee training. They do better than anybody. Everybody who works at that park, from the janitorial staff to the high-end you know, Disney tour guides, they're all kind and friendly and consistent and the messaging is clear and you feel a value I, I really honestly do not understand my husband who's got a company that's in you know the service industry is you know he's constantly astounded and what, like how do they do it how how are they so consistent um and I think part of it is the training system of course but I think it's also on every level that I've worked for this company everybody that I work with who works at Disney, is a fan of Disney. Like, they genuinely care. I I was on a conference call with the vice president of, of, you know, internal affairs at Disney. I'm I'm doing a project with Disney right now as a producer. And 
and you know, I've got the head of Disney concert division and Disney music on this one. And they're all excited about what they do. <laughs> and so, and it's the same in, you know, the food division at the park. For so many kids, Disney is their first, you know, theme park or musical or movie. So it gets to us at such, such a young age. And for those of us that want to work for Disney or have worked for Disney, it's that continuation of that love. It's true. It's true. And it doesn't really go away. I In 1997, when Hercules opened, I was taken down to Orlando to do a lot of press. And it was my first time experiencing having a tour guide. But, um, you know, they had a lot of celebrities down there because of the movie premiere and, you know, the cast being there. And so I, I got this tour guide. His name is Jeff Lindbergh. And he was young and, you know, marvelous. And I just became we became fast friends. He was he also had like this sarcastic side to him, which was so me and Meg anyway, that like we just bonded. And he's now the head of that division. He runs um, talent relations at at Walt Disney World and and I've now known him you know 27 years and to um to see that he's still such there's such love for this company in him like they don't really become jaded they become practical they've got their day-to-day jobs but but you're right you know he he loved Disney as a kid and got to work for that company and is creating, you know, the way the company does business and and is still just as much a fan as am I. I mean, everything I do for Disney, I'm, I'm always so excited and I fangirl over the people I get to meet, you know? What was it like when you brought your children to the parks for the first time? So my kids were little. Um, I'm, I'm lucky in that I often work for the company. I mean, lots. And so sometimes those events are at the parks and I get a pass and get to bring the family along. Um, I think the cruise ship was their first experience. I mean, Nina was six months old the first time she was on the cruise ship. They've probably been on 20 cruises since then. Uh, That's an exciting experience because it's four-walled because the kids don't have to be accompanied by me. They can't escape the ship. And so (laughs) they get to experience Disney the way they want to with the kids clubs or running around the ships or doing things with the counselors or interactive stuff that's in the, um, you know, the hallway hallways. And, you know, it's sort of, it's truly magical, but we did have annual passes when we lived in Southern California and we would go for us. It was about experiencing the park in different seasons and Halloween was always our favorite, um, even more than, than Christmas. Uh, but it was always fun to see how, how the park changes. And we always wonder like, gosh, they do it in a day. They decorate that park in a day. And where do they store all these decorations? And do they use the same ones every year? And um, watching because we got to go back and back and back so often, we we got to sort of ponder how they do it um, and and the luxury of not having to squeeze in all the rides in a day to know that we could even drive over after school. I mean, God, so spoiled to get to just spend a couple hours at the park and go on one ride, but really like maybe we'll go see a show and see Aladdin for the 9,000th time. <laughs> and, um, and uh, oh, we want to see the parade tonight. Or no, wait, while the parade's going and everybody's busy there, let's go on Tower of Terror and um, and go do other things. So, you know, the very first time I was so excited and wanted them to absorb it all, you know, immediately. And of course, 
my oldest was like petrified from any character with a giant head. So like, oh, okay, okay, there's that. But the princesses yeah. lured her in. She she was really, you know, she loved them and their big dresses and um and just watching them sort of grow up with it and and enjoy it in a way that it wasn't even available when when we were kids. Right. Did you ever feel like if they didn't love it, you wouldn't know how to relate to them or you'd, you'd be like, are you my child? Well, the ship had already sailed because okay, my kids, and this is like the universe or God's great sense of humor. If you don't think that they're laughing, um, they they are. My kids are not princess kids um, really at all. Uh they're not impressed by what I've done. They have never listened to the Beauty and the Beast soundtrack from beginning to end. I mean, like they, you know, they ask me funny How? questions about things. Um, they have seen Hercules. Like they do, they do like Hercules, and they are aware of how lucky they are, and that because of what I do for a living, they get to go and experience this. So as much as like they're not princessy, they do love Disney. They love Pixar. Their favorite character, of course, is you know Isma from. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Empire's New Groove. Empire's New Groove. <laughs> I mean, Good. whatever. But solid choice. Um, I mean, Eartha Kitt. You can't What's go not wrong. To yeah, love? you can't go wrong with Eartha Kitt. You can't. Susan, do you have a favorite Disney character? Oh, I mean, Mary Poppins is my favorite character. Oh yeah, she's solid just choice. she's so. Um, She's so manipulative, like I oh, yeah. without, but still coming off as kind, but but not really. Like she's a little harsh. Um, and I, you know, I love how she talks to Mr. Banks. You know, I never explain anything, and 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 all of that. We did my high school did an illegal production of it, and I got to play Mary Poppins, and it really just let me understand her in a in a way that I'm like, wow, she is like controlling everything without anybody understanding that she's controlling everything. I, I dig her. I, I, want, I, want I would be, be thrilled. I know. And I think it's also the fact that it's Julie Andrews. But if sure. Mary Poppins could be the president of our country, I would be thrilled. Right? She I know would she's just, British, but she oh, would just on. totally do it her way with a smile and, uh, you know, and dismiss. Sugar. <laughs> well, and dismiss anybody who doesn't. And always she's, she's also always right. So there's that. Yes. You know. Okay. So. Beauty and the Beast was, you know, the first Disney on Broadway musical. Did you watch the movie a lot to prepare for it? Oh, my goodness. That is such a funny question. No, I had never seen the movie when I auditioned. And as I got closer and closer to booking the gig, I actually started to panic. And I asked the director, Rob, before the final callback, like, should I go get the movie? And he said, nope, nope, don't change anything you're doing right now. In retrospect, then the the day of my final audition, that night, I got a call from my agent that I booked the job. And then Rob, the director, and Matt, the choreographer, immediately called me. Um, and they were just so excited about the whole cast. And, and you know, and Matt was already asking, like, I know that you dance and we didn't really have a dance audition, but do you want to dance and be our guest or do you want to sit at the table? I'm like, oh, no, I want to be in the kick line, dude. Oh. Um, but um but then after I hung up the phone with them, I didn't know what to do with myself in my one-room apartment in Harlem. And so I, um, this is very 1993, I got my dog on a leash and it's like eight o'clock at night and I went to Blockbuster and I rented the movie and I sat <laughs> with a pint of Ben and Jerry's and I watched the movie and then I freaked out, David, because thank God I hadn't seen it because I'm like, oh my God, she's in every scene. Like this is intimidating and I just... I wept out of exhaustion because the last three full days of my life were the callbacks. It was three days in a row. Um, 
But what I sort of understood later was that I am innately very similar to Paige O'Hara, who I love and adore and is a dear friend. Um, but by not seeing the movie, I wasn't mimicking her. I, I came at it with an authenticity that she also came at it with. So it was like honoring the spirit of what Paige did. And naturally, I'm making choices that were similar to hers without mimicking them. And maybe, I don't know, I didn't see other people audition, but maybe there were a lot of girls who were kind of giving the same line readings. And because the play had an hour more material, you know, I didn't know what was in the movie and what was written for the play. And so I approached it all from the same point of view. And and then also, you know, Ingenue was kind of bore me. And so when I read like, Papa, do you think I'm odd? I'm like, oh, she must be odd. Uh, and I was doing things that was generating laughs. And I think, I, you know, Rob just sort of told me later, like, oh, we just didn't we just hadn't seen it. Like we just hadn't seen somebody come in and approach this, you know, not in a blue dress and a ponytail, whatever. And so, it, so anyway, it worked to my advantage. But then, yes, I very quickly watched the movie once, um, and then and then didn't again. I mean, I will tell you, my first trip to New York was I think ninety four, ninety five ish, and my family we had tickets for Cats, which was officially my first show on Broadway which terrified me. And the next night we were walking by the palace. It was like eh, 7.45. Do you have any tickets? And we somehow snagged like for my entire family, fifth row center. And I saw you and it, it was, I was so engaged and I just remember loving it so much and buying the souvenir book and learning about the process and how, you know, in the, in the movie, she, her white apron is purely white, but on stage, there's some floral embroidery oh. in the corner, and it it shaped me as yes. a director. It, it was amazing. Did. I love that. Um, first of all, I always tell people, go to the box office 47 hours before the show, because that's when the house seats are released, and you will end up... And so you walked into house the director's house seats that weren't being utilized that night. So um, yeah, that's how you got the fifth row center. That's amazing. Yes. So you're talking about Anne Hold Ward. I mean, this yes. was... It was my first Broadway show, and to just watch how it developed, um, how the mythology was altered from the movie to the play to increase the stakes... Um, in the sense that the enchanted objects weren't just poof, enchanted objects. They were actually slowly becoming more inanimate, like a cancer. It was it was a fatal disease. And if this, you know, rose died before the love happened, they would be dead. And Mrs. Potts is looking at her child with a terminal illness. Like, not to get too heavy, but but it raised the stakes. And so and Anne Hold Ward did that with her costuming. So she and she just told me privately, she's like, So the embroidery on this apron your mom did that. I'm like, oh my really? God, as I weep. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, so there's a whole backstory in the costuming of what Belle's mom made for her. And did she make it for Belle or or was this her mother's apron? Because Belle was now, you know, in an adult body. And, you know, when did her mother pass? And, you know, all of that backstory, which we didn't have a live action movie yet. So we had our own version of what that was. And... You know, and even like the bloomers, there was embroidery on the bloomers that Anne said, nobody will ever see this but you, but I want you to know that you have it, that that there was um, Belle's initials embroidered into the back of the bloomers, like all of these little elements that Anne created for us as actors. How amazing is that? How, what a gift. What yeah. a gift. Yes. I saw um, a picture of you um, with Belle in the parks. How nervous do you think 
that Belle was in interacting with you? I you mean, I don't know. I don't think I'm anybody. But I've had such an opportunity to meet the Bells, like, on the ships and in the parks. Um, and it was really cool, like, with with the the show on the ship in particular was designed after Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. And so the costumes did like resemble the Broadway costumes, like Belle's yellow dress in their, you know, um, their Disney wishes show or whatever sort of um, montage kind of musical show that they, they did on that ship on that day was not the yellow dress from the movie. It was like the gold dress from the, the Broadway show. I mean, it was really cool to see. And and the wig style was not Belle's hair from the movie. It was from the Broadway show. So that's always really cool to see. It's neat to meet these girls. One, one fun element about the parks is that to be a face character, you have to go through all this audition process and your face has to be shaped a certain way. It's a circle shape if you're going to be Snow White and it's going to be... Anyway, so these girls have to go through all these tests and these wig tests to pass whatever standards Disney has to be these characters. And I coincidentally, if you pass the Bell test, you've also passed the Meg test. For whatever reason, the facial qualities of Meg and Belle are the same. And so back when Meg was still in the parks, um, the girls played both roles. I go, what are the odds of that? It's it's you. It's the Susan Egan. (laughs) You know what's funny? I remember um, one of my most favorite trips to Disney was uh, it was right before my bar mitzvah. And my dad... This is the most Jewish thing I'm going to say, in addition to, it was right before my bar mitzvah, but my dad, who's a rabbi, was at a rabbinic conference at the Anaheim Convention Center. So for the first time, my sisters and I got to go to the parks by ourselves, and it was right during um, the uh, Hercules Victory Parade, and I remember just hearing the music, and I loved it, but that was kind of the only time I saw Meg in the parks, I think was around that parade. Yes. You know, Meg's a tough character because she's not a villain and she's not a princess. Like she falls between the two, which is why I love her. Yeah. She's She's having a little bit of a of a, you know, revival right now because the timing is right, because anybody who was that age in 1997 is now, you know, 35 and with expendable income. Exactly. And so and so it's so great how um you know how they did in Central Park and everything. And my feeling was always it it has to happen at some point because I am one of five people who was in the studio when Lilius and Lashans and Cheryl and and um uh Roz and um, it, it, when it, when they were recording. So to hear the gospel music live, I go, other people have got to have this experience. And so it was thrilling that they, that they did get to do it live. There has been a ship on the show. But Meg did live only for like two or three years in the parks. It's true. And when I met her, oh my God, that wig, that wig, <laughs> uh, like neck braces. You need neck braces yes, because yes. that hair... Um, is not centered. And so it was, you know, it was tough on those ladies. It's it's always funny, like, seeing how, like, the evil queen or Maleficent interact with the kids. They they have to be authentic to themselves. But, you know, these kids are like, we're going to have fun at, at Disneyland. And then you've got a queen yelling at them. I think it's always so funny I how they're, they're being so authentic. They are being authentic. And and it's such an acting job. And I mean, and it's and you're on for so long. Uh, and yeah. you never I mean, it's it's the world's best improv class. Totally. They do such a good job. 
you know, I, I loved Hercules so much. It was the music, everything. My question is, where is the Hercules ride? Like, where is that? <gasps> and do you think it would be a dark ride, would it, like a roller coaster, an e-ticket ride? What do you think it would be? The Hercules ride. So yeah. it's funny because it was this sort of sleeper of a movie. Like, it was not Lion King. Um, but right. it was also, they knew that going in. I mean, the animation was from Gerald Scarf, who did Pink Floyd's The Wall. Like, the whole thing was a departure. It was the first time since Robin Williams and the Genie where they allowed um, timely jokes, colloquial jokes, you know, with Payne saying, you know, all the girls are named Brittany and all the boys are named Jason. I mean, that's such a 1997 moment. Um, and yet it still works 23 years later. What would it be? I think because of the gaggy nature, not, you know, like like full of gags. Yes, yes, full of gags, um, yes. The, the, uh, the 1930s screwball comedy aspect of Hercules, I think it would have to be something more like the Monsters, Inc. ride. Oh, totally. Which I really yes. dig, but has yeah. a sense of humor and zaniness to it because I want to see... I want to see Hades throughout, like being thwarted. I want to at the at the end. I want to see his hair go out, and he's like, "Did my hair go out?" You know, like I want to see James Woods throughout it. I think we need to go. I, I think we need to journey from Olympus down to Earth and meet yeah. the, the you know um, the Hydra for sure. Um, you know, maybe Pegasus is in there, and then I, I, think, I think we Pegasus... definitely need to go down to to Hades' world, the underworld. You know. And then come back up. The beautiful scene, you know, of Meg singing I Won't Say I'm in Love. Oh, the garden, for sure. I think I think the ride vehicle would be Pegasus. I think he would be flying around on Pegasus. Nice. I like there we go. that a it's lot. It's going to happen. Okay. It's going to happen. Oh, silly. We'll be right back. Oh, what's the big idea with these commercials? Oh, this Okay, Susan, the next uh, part of this interview is called Fast Pass Answers, and I'm going to put 30 seconds on the clock, and as, as soon as I ask the first question, I'll start the clock. Are you ready? I, I think so. Okay. It's going to be fun. Okay. Three, two, one. Susan Egan, what is your favorite Disney movie? Mary Poppins. Name one of the enchanted objects from Beauty and the Beast. Oh, Lumiere. What's your favorite Broadway musical? Oh, good Lord. Um, uh, Sweeney Todd. <laughs> Name another actor to voice a character in Hercules. Oh, everybody. Tate Donovan. Jim Woods. Danny DeVito. Favorite, what's your favorite Disney song to sing? Oh, uh-huh, isn't this amazing? Name another Disney on Broadway musical. Little Mermaid. Time. Okay, I gave you three more seconds because when you sang from Beauty and the Beast, I I became speechless. <laughs> it was so great. So uh, what I want to say, but it was it was your fast pass. I had to I had to not say it. Is Alan Menken knows how to write for a woman's voice better than anybody on the entire planet. Singing his music is like a massage for the vocal cords. He just gets it. And like that, oh, isn't, like it just, it does everything it needs to do musically and it feels good to sing. It literally, it, it's just, yeah, it's like a warm bath. You heard it here first on E-Ticket to Broadway, <laughs> the truth of Disney songs. 
Sweeney Todd. I know. I'm a Sondheim Solid. file. I love oh my it. Gosh. Yeah. Put on your thinking ears. It's trivia time. Oh boy. Okay, here's a quick thing of trivia that I think you're going to know. Okay. What is Meg's biggest fear? Oh. Heights. Yes, it's heights. Yes. And I was doing um, Beauty and the Beast at night when we were recording that scene and they needed me to scream and I, I couldn't do it because it's like that thrashes your vocal cords. And so we had to put it off. <laughs> Until I wasn't doing any shows a week. Yeah. It all worked out. It all worked out. Now let's hear from some of you. Uh-huh. Okay, Susan, we've got some questions uh, that have come in via social media. Nice. So I just want to ask you some of these. Um, Eric wants to know, and I also want to know this, was the O... At the end of I Won't Say I'm in Love, written, or did you come up with that? Oh, God. I know that's specific. It's a great question. No, it's a great question. I, okay. I am so white. As I said, I was in, (laughs) you know, I was in that studio with Venice and with the, you know, Lashans and (laughs) like Lilius and... And Alan Menken was, you know, in the booth and, you know, with the directors, John and Ron and Alice, our producer. Woohoo! Girl power. Alice Dewey. And we were recording the song and he's like, you know, Lilius, take a riff on this. And, you know, LaShawn's do that over there. And then he's like, okay, and Susan at the end, just take a riff down. I'm like, um, Mr. Menken, (laughs) um, I don't know how to riff. He's looking at me. He's like, Susan. I go, listen, Alan, seriously, you're going to have to come in here and plunk something out on the piano. He's like, are you kidding me? I go, no, I'm not kidding you. <laughs> and so he came into the booth and uh, he sat at the piano. And he's like, okay, let's figure this out. And he wrote that riff. He went, do, 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 do. Like he finally, you know, and I'm like, uh, 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 uh. I'm like, okay. And then I had to just kind of do it like I knew what I was doing and I don't even oh, listen to that recording. It, it's it's iconic. You sound is is it very okay? Much like you know but what, what was doing. amazing is is like you know Ariana Grande you know wants to it should be Meg like in the movie right? She's amazing, and when she sings that song, I'm always waiting for her to do something with that riff right. And she's so she does licks all around the song, but she leaves that riff alone. And I'm like, that you, is you like Alan Menken genius. Um, yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. like it's just in Alan my Menken's voice now. Muse. But, Ah, my parents actually were very excited for this interview and they want to know um what was it like to work with alan menken on two different projects oh my gosh mom and dad big shout out to you it was a dream so that was the biggest thing about beauty and the beast and auditioning for beauty and the beast i didn't know who michael eisner was i didn't know who the director's choreographer were. i didn't know who anybody was i only knew who alan menken was because he wrote my favorite off-Broadway musical at the time um, is um, Little Shop of Horrors. and We I, share that. It's my favorite. Yeah, it's it's beyond. And um, and so to get to meet Alan Menken was, was incredible. And he's the kindest person you can imagine. And he just, you know, like he, he was sitting next to me at rehearsals like, I'm so excited for our Broadway debut because that was his Broadway debut too. Can you even believe it? Oh, yeah. That there was a day that Alan Menken didn't have a Broadway show. Um, 
Yeah. My favorite story there is that um, Home had it had another verse in it. And during um, our out of town, the song was just too long. The song was like four minutes and it should be 3.30. And and I got a, a message on my um, answering machine when we were out of town in Houston, when we still had answering machine tapes. Yeah. And it was Alan. I got back from dinner and I listened to the message. He's like, Susan, it's Alan. I'm so sorry. I just, I wanted to let you know that we had a meeting after the, sh- after the run through today. And we're going to cut the second verse of Home and just go straight to the chorus again. And I just want to say, it is not you. Everybody loves what you're doing. It's me. I wrote the song too long. It's all my fault. And I didn't want you to be like, you know, uh, surprised at rehearsal tomorrow, whatever, whatever. And I was listening to this thinking like, I don't care at all that they cut the second verse to home i just can't believe i have a message from alan megan on my machine (laughs) (laughs) totally yeah claire wants to know who is your favorite princess my favorite princess is rapunzel because she's so completely neurotic and (laughs) i adore her noelle wants to know what are some key differences between voice acting for disney and working with disney on broadway Oh my gosh. Um, totally different. I mean, again, everybody at Disney loves Disney. And so that there's a commonality. But when you're in a booth by yourself and, and getting to play a character like Meg, which was sexy and angular, all these things that I'm not. And I, I you know, I was the ingenue in New York. Um, I never got to play the sarcastic. I never got the punchlines. I never got any of that. So to get to do that was really exciting. But at the same time, you'll do the scene with Nessus and then the directors will say like, hey, great. Can you do a line reading now? Like as if there's a fish down your top. I mean, so there's just like elements <laughs> of animation that you don't experience on Broadway. You also record out of order you also record most of the time without any other actors um without understanding really what the world is that you're going to be in other than what the directors are describing to you and like a little bit of the storyboarding on broadway you get to tell the story in chronological order um which and you get with those actors every night and then you get the chance to hone it. You have your performance and then you walk away that night and you're like, okay, so that worked pretty well. But like tomorrow night, I'm going to try it this way and that way. And so you're constantly adjusting. When you're recording or doing a film or television, you know, you you shoot or you record all day and then you get in your car and then you think of 20,000 things that you should have done and now it's too late because it's in the can. So that aspect of it is really hard, but the freedom that you get to play any kind of character. I mean, I got to do Lady in the Tramp 2 and play a dog. I got to, you know, um, do some Miyazaki movies and, and play these fancy characters. And so animation allows me to go way beyond the world where I live in. But, um, but you know, it doesn't give you many chances. <laughs> and um, Broadway, you know, you do a show for two and a half years, you get to really know that character. Mari wants to know, did you feel any pressure bringing two completely different uh, Disney characters to life? That's a smart question. Did I feel pressure? I I wasn't smart enough to feel the pressure. You know, I had my task at hand and my nose to the grindstone and I didn't look up a lot, you know, to look at the big picture with Beauty and the Beast so much. Um, I was also surrounded by such greatness. Gary Beach, Beth Fowler, Burke Moses, Terrence Mann, Tom Bosley. I I mean... The Heath Lamberts, these were just great actors, seasoned professionals who really kept their wings around me and protected me and taught me good habits and, um, and, and appreciation for the position we were in. And so I just really, really loved that. And then I was so grateful to our um, producers from Jeffrey Katzenberg and Michael Eisner to our, you know, Michael Kosrin, uh, music, Matt, um, Matt West, uh, Rob Roth, 
to give me the freedom to like find my own bell. And they never once asked me to mimic anything. And, um, and, and that like took courage on Disney's part to like allow somebody to take this beloved character and kind of, you know, try out new things with it. And, um, so I didn't feel pressure because I was young and foolish and that's, what allows young and foolish people to to do things, I guess. Now, at this age, I'm like, oh, my God, what was I thinking? <laughs> um, our final question actually just came in. It's it's from someone named David, and he wants to know if you would go to Disneyland with him walking through Fantasyland singing Little mm-hmm. Town, It's a Quiet Village every day like the one before. Would you do that for David? I don't know who he is, oh, but David. it sounds... Hi, David, sounds out really, there. I mean, he yeah, must be really like... Smart. Well, you know, 10 or 11, maybe, David. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> Absolutely. I Thank can't you. wait to get back to Disneyland, wander through. And um, there's even the restaurant there that has there a big is, mural yeah. that says, I want adventure. Uh, that I just, I've hugged that mural in there the There is a photo of that that is on the Instagram page. Oh, so good, good, good. Out. Yes. Um, so... Yes, happily. And great, and then, great. you know, we'll probably be asked to stop or leave because yes, you know, yeah. we'll be disrupting yeah. people. Yeah, agreed. It's time for some tough choices. Let's play Tweedledee or Tweedledum. Okay, Susan, here's uh, Tweedledee or Tweedledum. I'm going to give you two choices and just let me know which one you prefer. So, uh, number one, you can have drinks with either Gaston or Hades. Who would you choose? Oh, Hades. Very quick. I mean, he he drinks what eyeballs and worms. Oh, he's hilarious. He's that's like a sparring partner. Gaston is not a good listener. Agreed. Fantasyland or Tomorrowland? Oh, Fantasyland. That surprises me actually, because I love Star Wars and I love you know, I love Space Mountain. But yeah, still the magic is in Fantasyland for me. You know, the Matterhorn used to be in both sides. It was it was like the Fantasyland entrance and the Tomorrowland entrance. Yes. So if you, you could just hang out with your brother and be both. <laughs> That's true. Right. Uh, this one's tough, and I don't I don't I don't envy you. Be our guest, or I won't say I'm in love. I have to say I won't say I'm in love. Okay. It was the second song they wrote for Meg, and just to write a song about denial in 1997 is epic. The whole point of view of that song is there's no other song like it. I love it. I used to grab like Shabbat candlesticks as a microphone and sing it so loudly in my living room in Michigan. I love that. So here's our last Tweedledee or Tweedledum. It's very specific. Who would you rather get stuck on It's a Small World with? Lumiere or Cogsworth? Oh, Lumiere. Yeah, I think that's wise. I think Cogsworth would just let you know how long you've been stuck. Oh, he's he's so uptight that he I is. would feel the need to constantly reassure him and chill him out as as opposed to Lumiere, who's going to like point out all the things that are ridiculous. And, you know, he's got he's got that humor and, and he'll he'll both enjoy it um, for the magic of it, but also like be sarcastic about aspects of it. And, and it's like that's that's where I live. I feel like he would like jump and like start hanging out with the dolls and, you know, making them laugh. Uh, he's and... yeah, he's he's ridiculous. Yeah. Lumiere's the best. I love that. Like we're having a real conversation about a candelabra and dolls. <laughs> Thank you.
Susan, the next time you go to Disneyland or Disney World, what's the first thing you're going to do? Well, I'll be with you. So oh. what's on the agenda? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, maybe get a pretzel. Should we? No, it's probably you handing me tissues because I'm sobbing. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. So well, we fun. always have to stop at the entrance and get our picture taken because I love how the flowers change um, depending on the year. And uh, yeah. And then Main Street. You know, and I love to walk by and smell the ice cream, you know, shop is always smells so good. And, you know, the, the band's always there playing. Um, they're always incredible musicians. And we got to go to get a picture with uh, with, you know, Walt and Mickey. Um, I mean, I've been there so many thousands of times. It feels like my own home. Yeah, there's too many things to do. I, as I've gotten older, I enjoy like having, you know, eating at Carnation Cafe or just enjoying time on Main Street, just watching people walk in and knowing that it's okay if I didn't, if I don't get on a ride today, it's just about enjoying being there. That is for sure true. That is true. Well, Susan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, It's been such an honor and privilege to chat with you about your Disney experience. This is such a joy. Thank you for doing this. And it's just making, you know, me reminisce in such positive ways. And all you lovers of the Disney parks out there, let's all meet. Let's all get together on one day and have a great time. We'll sing show tunes on Splash Mountain. It'll be great. It will be. We'll see you at the parks. soon on the next episode. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.